Welcome back to the MRAP, your favorite bi-weekly news wrap and talk show about life, the military, and everything in between. What is up, teammates, and welcome to the back of the MRAP once again. I am one of your hosts, Sergeant Pelletier, here with the usual suspects, Sergeant Willis. Hello. And Sergeant Dostal. Hello. Today in the back of the MRAP, we bring in our guest, Lieutenant Colonel William Mitchell, who is the newly appointed battalion commander of the Recruiting and Retention Battalion for the great groovy state of Colorado. Hello, sir. Good afternoon. How are we doing? We're doing awesome over here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So um, I like to I'd like to start by calling this the Triple H, uh, Hometown Hobbies and Hidden Towns. Yes, I just made that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, sir, where do, you, where do you hail from? What's 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 your background? Who who, who is Colonel Mitchell? Um, I've grown up all over. Uh, as a kid, my father worked for the defense industry, so had jobs in numerous states, and lived primarily in California, Florida, and Massachusetts, and finished high school in Florida, and ended up going to uh, New York to West Point at the United States Military Academy for college. After which, I spent a couple of years in Korea on active duty, and came to Colorado out of Korea in order to attend school. Um, here and joined the National Guard and have been in Colorado since about 2004. Okay, so not native, but long enough to... Uh, it was the longest I've lived anywhere, actually. You've, you've, yep. you've got the roots. Uh, I love Colorado, and I'm, I'm a homer on that all the time. Um, what, what are some of your hobbies? Uh, primarily woodworking and uh, amateur gardening slash landscaping. Um, really been getting into making furniture and other projects around the house, things like that, looking at using that as a, a retirement career at some point, going and uh, uh, doing professional um, interior work and furniture, probably. I, I feel like that just totally killed the hidden talents because that's such a... Yeah. That is very cool. Like... So do you, do you, currently do you sell your projects anywhere or do you make them specifically? No, most of them for... are just for home or, or for gifts. Um, uh, finished a cabinet recently, um, did a whole built-in office for the house, this kind of thing. That's, that's very yeah, cool. That's yeah. interesting to me, because one of the things that I've wanted to really get into is, like, I want to get, like, a lathe. And yeah, just, have a lathe. They're very, like, soothing. Make pens? What? Do you want to make pens? Make pens yeah. on a lathe? Yeah, <laughs> that's what sure. Ethan does. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. There you go. Oh, then, yeah, right? Your husband. Um, yeah, he's very is... into woodworking. Him. Mm-hmm. He made um, his own electric guitar body and mm-hmm. nice. he he's very into making pens so that's something that he yeah, does I, pretty frequently i saw the youtube video of him testing out that guitar yeah. uh he's a talented blues musician musician too that's yeah he is yeah hidden talents all around right. <laughs> um all right so you can't use woodworking what any hidden talents that that you have i mean that's that's a cool talent to begin with but um not too many hidden talents, no. Okay. That's, that's really what I've been focusing on. Nothing that would uh, surprise us at a, at a party that's... No, I'll refrain <laughs> from blowing your mind. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, so you mentioned attending West Point. Um, what, what made you choose that path? When I was in high school, I was very service-oriented. I was in the Scouts and um, very into outdoor activities and athletics and um, kind of globally focused in the way I looked at the world and I looked at the military as one of those things where you can combine those three things. And I, I remember my 
essay that I wrote as a high school student basically covered those three points that if you want to, uh, if you really want to make a difference in the world around you and get a chance to go and engage, and if you want um, to be at the working end of what makes change in this world, the military is a great way to do that. And uh, West Point has a great program and it's something I went and visited and just the immersive experience of leadership and uh, military training and tactics that you get there was second to none. So that's what I want to do. Right. Got the, uh, the, the alpha personality. So why not be the best of the best? I'm pretty laid back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I've seen your signature block. I know military intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, has that been your branch? And for our civilian listeners, that would be the um, the job specifically that uh, Colonel Mitchell does. So when we say a branch, it's the same thing as when we say enlisted MOS or an occupational specialty. Uh, but sir, have you um, have you had any other branches or have you been military intelligence your I've entire time? I've had a number time? of career fields. Uh, when I first joined the military out of out of school, I started as an infantry officer. And when I transitioned um, and I had to duty, I went to the finance corps and worked as a finance officer in Korea for a couple of years. And coming to Colorado, transitioned to military intelligence corps, picked up an additional career field of human resources to work as an active guard uh, reservist within the state. So career-wise and experience-wise, um, I am much more eclectic than most officers. Most within the military, most officers have one, maybe two career fields or, or MOSs their uh, their time. Whereas I have at least four and I've worked in areas that are non-traditional even to those four uh, career fields. So my experience is very diverse. Prior to being at West Point and while you were in, at West Point, was there a branch that you thought you would be the perfect fit for? Was there one that you were shooting for and then you just happened to be around or do you feel nomadic? I really wanted to be infantry. I was, I was sold on it based on our summer training. Um, the core of what the Army does is land warfare. And the uh, again, where the rubber meets the road, where you're actually doing that is in the infantry and in our maneuver branches. And that's really what the whole Army is designed around is the application of and support of the infantry, armor, and other other maneuver branches, like, like our aviation assets. Um, you have the most direct um, leadership experiences in those. It's just, when you think of Army, you're you're basically thinking of infantry. Um, and everything else is designed to support that. So it, it seemed to be, I wanted to be at the, uh, the forefront of that was. I really enjoyed the field craft of um, being in the infantry. And uh, I wasn't eligible to be infantry at first because our a certain number of slots are given each year for each um, commissioning source. And West Point being a commissioning source received 175 slots for infantry officers. I was 178 in the order of merit. Um, I did not graduate terribly high in my class. <laughs> um, but they actually went back to the Pentagon and for the people that declared infantry as their first choice, they went and got some additional slots. And so I fortunately ended up as, as an infantry officer. And, um, and yeah, but that wasn't to be, I, I suffered an injury after uh, a year or so of training that meant I couldn't be an infantry officer anymore. 
and had to adapt and had to choose a new branch. And that's where I was transferred to the finance corps and uh, took the opportunity to go to Korea from there for a couple of years. And that was, again, it's my whole career has been about taking advantage of opportunities and not trying to force my way along a predestined trajectory. A lot of folks mm-hmm. get in their minds that they're going to be X, Y, or Z when they grow up. And then they feel like they're a failure if they don't be what they thought they were going to be. Whereas if they took advantage of the opportunities that came to them, um, they could have a very fulfilling life and career. Mm-hmm. But so much we get focused on what we want to do and not pay attention to the opportunities and things we could do. Yeah, it's great. It's great to hear that from an officer perspective, because right. on the enlisted side, we talk all the time like, oh, you know, um, the total soldier concept and, and being well-rounded, getting reclassed, picking mm-hmm. up other skill sets that you can bring to the fight. Right, or it's the highly community. encouraged. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, like like Colonel Mitchell was saying, when you hear most officers stick to one branch mm-hmm. or maybe pick up an additional branch, it's great to know that the option is out there or the availability is out there if you've got the uh, the the mental awareness right. to, to pick up. And in branches. the context of new people that are coming into the military, I think that you're totally right, because I feel, at least for me, the most often like MOSs that I see coming in are or once are 11 Bravo mm-hmm. infantry and 68 whiskey. Um, which is combat medic. And I those two are like medic. the things that people think of when they think of the military. And, and sometimes people come in with this idea, just like it's that or nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's really good to hear, um, just be open, you know, being open to what opportunities present themselves to you. One of the greatest advantages of the National Guard is um, our career diversity in that in the traditional army, if you're going to join in one MOS, one branch, they have the um, organizational breadth to accommodate a career in that branch. The difference is you will live many different places. Mm-hmm. If you serve as a, a medic in one location, well, in that location, they may not have the next step forward for you for like E5 to E6, but that E6 job is in Germany or the E6 job mm-hmm. is in is in. Uh, uh, Texas or whatever. So you go you go to where the job is. Right. In the National Guard, we don't have that. We have a set number of jobs available in the National Guard. And so instead of moving the person around, we actually move the careers around. So mm-hmm. when you work in the National Guard, you will find most, if not all, soldiers have at least two MOSs because they have reclassed, they have retrained. And it's not so much the, um, the career field that you have progressed through, it's the units. So when you come to Colorado, we have an infantry battalion that has a number of military occupational specialties within it. So medics get the experience of going to that unit and so forth. But we also have an MP, a space, artillery, aviation, all those battalions. So instead of going to the places where your career field is um, in in the world so you can be pure supply or, or pure medical or what have you, you have the opportunity to either reclass to new MOS or go to a whole nother kind of unit and a whole nother kind of experience. And it's getting people to understand that they have those opportunities. Right. I think that was something that I learned. You know, and now I pass it on to kids that come in now because they come in again with the mindset of this mm-hmm. is the job that I want. Very straight path. Therefore, yep. I will be in that job. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I was at. Unfortunately, I had to change my job right off the bat because I was colorblind. So. 
Also, I'm also colorblind, but I've made it this far. <laughs> You're still colorblind? Still colorblind. That doesn't go away. How many fingers am I holding? Stop up? it. <laughs> every time. Yeah, I, I every time. He's, he's born that way. It's not a choice. <laughs> yeah. I came in with that mentality of, of like, all right, well, now I'm a 31 Bravo. I guess I'll just be a 31 Bravo. Uh, and then got picked up by recruiting. And uh, now all of a sudden, there's a lot of other doors. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, while, while I, I like the idea of being boots on the ground, you know, running and gunning and training mm-hmm. and everything like that. I know that for me, I'm like, maybe I should look into like a, a 92 Alpha or, or a 42 Alpha, you know, these HR positions, these admin positions, because it's that rounded soldier concept that we talked about. That's why I tell these, a lot of these kids now, if they don't necessarily qualify for the job they want right now, mm-hmm. I might take a different one, get some other skills, mm-hmm. and then come into this, retake your ass or whatever it is that's preventing you, you know, eventually that'll probably go away unless, unless it's like medical or something. But, right. And I think but, most importantly, like you be the the kind of master of your own career yeah. and if you're open to other opportunity or if you're looking to pursue something else or whatever that nobody else is going to be like oh this is get this person over here that'd yeah. be good for them you know like yeah. you have to be the one to take those steps mm-hmm. so like you know I'm, i mean recruiting kind of opened its doors to you and you were just like willing to do it and I honestly just, i was yeah. too i didn't ever think i would get here but you learn something at every step of the way and that's pretty cool yeah so I, I jotted a, a lot of things down here, sir, that um, you know I was thinking about. And when you look at the commander of a unit, um, and I know I know this is um, not your first command. Um, and and it, you always hear about the tip of the spear. Everybody likes to talk in the military about the tip of the spear. And I thought about it, and I said, well, the recruiting and retention battalion commander is kind of the CEO of the industry that creates that spear. Um, do you believe that, and, and I'm going to go to the MI realm, that maybe you bring a different perspective of the ability to, say, red cell or you know do a sweat MSO, um, and for our civilian listeners, sure hope your listeners know what that is. You're, you're looking at you know um, going into an area and seeing what you can contribute to that area. When I say sweat MSO, I'm talking about sewage, water, electricity, academics, trash, medical, safety, things of that nature. Um, you know, I can go into in depth with a scope and Pamesi and all that, but no, uh, sir. Do you take your background in, mental, in military intelligence and and think that can apply um, almost like a garrison style civil affairs when it comes to recruiting? I think of it as um, slightly different from that. The, in my mind, the job of any officer is to assess the organization they're assigned to, identify where they want to get that organization to be, and determine what is the best way to get from where we are to what we want to be. That's strategic planning in a nutshell in terms of um, if you were assigned to be in charge of any organization in the world, if you were uh, Billy Bean taking over the Oakland Athletics, and if you're familiar with the movie Moneyball and so forth, he was put in charge of an organization where he had to figure out how to get the Oakland Athletics from being at the bottom of their league to being at the top. And he came up with a strategy to do that. And if... I was assigned to work in um, in, a, in a, a McDonald's franchise, or if I was assigned to work in an infantry battalion, or if I was assigned to work in um, a, a social services hub in a, in a nonprofit organization, the mission's basically the same. You determine what the facts are, you, you talk to your people, you get insight from as many uh, sources as you can to figure out 
what is going well and what is not going well. And we work through people and we determine what incentives, what discipline, what resources are necessary to get the team from to where you want to be. And um, within the military intelligence world, uh, I have done that at the um, at the very individual level of conducting analysis. When you think about what military intelligence officers do, if we're doing analysis, it's very much like being a, a pundit or a uh, analytical journalist where you're looking through a bunch of information and trying to present a assessment of what the, what's going on in the, in the world that your organization is operating in. Anybody who does uh, market analysis for their company to determine right. what the future looks like and how that company can leverage their uh, strengths and protect against the things that risk their their market share. It's the same kind of thinking. The, the difference is when you're talking about leading groups of people, and that honestly is more like being a coach of a a uh, professional sports team than anything else in that you are looking at the people that are assigned to you, determining how to bring in good talent, how to develop that talent, and how to uh, determine a, a winning strategy that will position your people to be effective. It's it's really that same kind of skill set. And um, in terms of military intelligence skills, the critical thinking and analysis that goes into trying to determine what are the um, objective factors and what are the subjective factors that drive your organization, um, that comes to bear. But that's, that's really, if that kind of sums it up, that's what I look at it. Yeah, it does. It does. Jordan Willis, give us a back brief. No, I'm only messing. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, <laughs> yeah. uh, journalist. Um, I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully that, that not just for a military audience, but for, for your listeners, for a civilian audience, it, it's very, very difficult to wrap your brain about what the military does, much less what an intelligence organization does in um, in, in terms a layperson would be able to work with. But that's that's the way I try to describe it to people. Right. I like the comparison of it to being a coach of a sports team. A lot of people, I think, will understand that concept. Mm -hmm. And the football, the the first sergeant's basically your your offensive coordinator or your uh, your quarterback. <laughs> So it's, it's yeah. It, you know about sports. Being the coach, being the, the the commander of a team is like being the owner mm -hmm. of a team, and the managers are your um, subordinate elements and, and NCOs. The but ones you clearly that have a very like analytical way of looking at leadership and command I'm that a, you I'm break notorious. it down to the littlest. <laughs> little subdivision yeah. of so that, what you're leading. That's and a I, personality trait. Right. That's, and yeah. that's my question. Do you think that that's, that's how you've always approached life or is that something that you've learned through command? We're, we're trained to do that. Um, the officer commissioning sources, uh, places like West Point, places like ROTC programs and uh, the officer candidate school programs we use, they teach a syllabus that ostensibly is supposed to teach that critical thinking, it teaches us how to analyze and take apart an organization and, and manage that. Just like if somebody went to get a, uh, an MBA and they wanted to learn how to run a business, they're going to learn about human resources. They're going to learn about strategic planning. They're going to learn about how to manage taxes and, and facilities and um, how to manage their supply chain and their distribution chain and all those kinds of things. Those elements that we're trained in in our officer training are very much focused on 
the essential skills you need to make decisions in a military context. So you feel like you're molded into. Yeah, you're, you're, right. if, if you allow it, just like anything. You go to school, you get out of it what you put into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of us have been in a educational environment where there's some folks that are just checking the block. Okay, they, they completed, they got the certificate. And there's some people that leave the organization, different person. And that's 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 education. Just going through it and getting it done is not the same. You have to be different. Okay. And and I was corrected here. I I've, I've misquoted. And oh, here we go. Dossel, you can help me. Um, oh. Sir, you, I put that you had said training shapes behavior. However, I remembered. It was because it did stand out to me. Training changes behavior. Change, changes behavior. Because I appreciated that comment. Because oftentimes. So, well, okay, I'm not going to, I guess, generalize that much, but sometimes in the military specifically, I feel training is for the sake of training. Like, check the box, you know, like, okay, got that done. And, and I appreciated bringing that to the light. If we're doing training and nothing comes of it and there is nothing that changes after it, what was the point? Yeah. of training was it even training or was it just wasting your time sitting in a room together mm -hmm. so i appreciated that that comment that you made i see that time and time again i think everybody in their experiences um you go sit through a class or um you have a, a mandatory lecture you have to go to and and people just endure it mm -hmm. and um time and time again i've encountered experiences with uh, peers and and folks where people are discussing a problem they're trying to figure out how do we fix this problem and I'm sitting there and I feel like I'm the only one in the room I feel a little crazy I look back around like we, we all been trained on how to fix this problem mm -hmm. and no one's applying what's the problem no one's applying the methodologies <laughs> right. that we're supposed to be they're just saying I don't want to do that I want to do it this way but right. but they gave you a solution and it can be very frustrating right um, but it's not just skill sets a lot of training we go to is how to do a task. And that's at its most basic, it's instructive training, where if you want to um, clean the, the heads of an, uh, of, of an engine or remove a carburetor or, or whatever you gotta do, and I'm not an engine guy, but you're gonna be taught, there's a series of steps and almost like the scientific method, if you do those steps in the appropriate order, this result will happen. Mm -hmm. uh, in human behavior, when we're trying to, to train culture, and that is the, the essence of what we do in the military is we're Absolutely. trying to affect the way people behave mm -hmm. when given a certain condition or, uh, or situation. Um, we are trying to take the average citizen and turn them into a, um, into a soldier, somebody who is capable of exercising um, ethically, uh, what's the word for it? ethically sound lethal force and then stop there is a, a great book by lieutenant colonel uh, grossman who wrote the book on killing and it talks about the um, psychological fundamentals of what it trains people to overcome one of our greatest taboos the taboo against killing we are acculturated throughout our young lives not to kill people and then we bring people into the military and we tell them kill people but do so morally ethically and um, in a disciplined manner so that we don't have collateral damage, that we don't hurt ourselves or our, um, our fellow soldiers or the civilians or the environment around us. And 
do so in a way that is in comportment with the laws of war and um, and the highest moral standards. That is incredibly complex to train because there's a whole bunch of um, uh, uh, moral quandaries you run into. And hmm. and I won't go. That's that's a whole other podcast. It feels incredibly contradictory. It is. Yeah, there's a whole. Yeah. And this is probably not the most delicate way of putting it. But I've told this to a number of soldiers and peers, we're in the business of lighting people on fire. In Afghanistan, in Iraq, many much of our killing is done at a distance with um, laser-guided bombs and um, long-range artillery and so forth. But at the bottom line, when you're watching the uh, surveillance video from drones and you, and you are seeing that... Um, that terrorist on a motorcycle trying to bring explosive material somewhere and that bomb hits him. You watch that person uh, in the last few minutes of their life. And it's not like the movies where they just fall over and die. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of pain, and a lot of anguish that goes into that. And you realize that what we're doing is an incredibly sacred responsibility and training people to do that in a, um, in a controllable and an ethical manner is, Incredibly difficult to do. Mm -hmm. You loved it. You were I'm so very, excited. I mean, it's I mean, very it's much, so it's very much the psychology of the military. Yeah. I mean, in a very like broad sense. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I'm fascinated by it because no, I, I agree with you. Like, and honestly, I think that a lot of soldiers without being, or I mean, really wanting to put words to it, feel that like dichotomy within themselves that mm -hmm. they are the peak of moral standard in our culture really and mm -hmm. that simultaneously they feel against they're going against their moral code that's been ingrained them in them since they were children and so i think that oftentimes there is kind of like this butting heads within our own like minds and for me at least when i went to basic training it was alarming i mean it's not like i didn't know what basic training was going to be and that they were going to give me a weapon and teach me how to shoot but um but actually being placed in that position where you really have to think, how would I respond if I were under fire or how would I respond in this situation or, you know, whatever. That was a, um, a cultural growth moment for me at least. And, and I think basic training is just, I mean, really one of the best examples that we have in our society of molding people and this no, it's a social experiment. Right. It no, honestly it really is. is. Yeah. 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 You, you had written that down in your notes, um, right. talking about the um, Stanford prison experiment. Stanford prison, I watched that documentary after I came back from training with my now husband mm -hmm. and was telling him, well, that hurts watching that <laughs> like after basic mm -hmm. training versus watching it before. And before you go, wow, this is terrible. How do people act this way? Right. And after you go, oh, like well, when there's you, a reason for when it. When you look at it and you, you know, you, you see somebody in a position of authority, mm -hmm. a drill sergeant, say, mm -hmm. and they say, this is the way you you do it that way. Right. Right. I mean, when you look at social psychology, people do the right thing in front of positions of authority. Right. right? That's that's what happens. And even more so when you when you have an officer, mm -hmm. um, now you're even thinking to a higher standard, because I noticed Sergeant Willis has not sworn once this episode which is good for you we don't have to edit that <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know it, <laughs> you'll need to look up the um, Milgram shock test and the Stanford um, 
prison that you'll that go goes get for a everybody if you haven't seen Stanford, it. It sounds very cultish. No, no, it's not. No. So in, in Stanford, California, at the university, they tried to simulate um, the situation between the jailers and the jailed, and they separated the students, gave them rules to keep enforce discipline. And it's been cited numerous times as an examples of what happens um, when you don't control prisoners, how easy, how easily abuse in a, while in a position of authority happens. Um, what's interesting is Stanford Prison Experiment is considered to be by many a flawed experiment because of the way it was set up. It was kind of, um, it's kind of like a reality TV show. They were encouraged to be uh, aggressive. And it was before a lot of the ethics of psychological study. It's honestly where a lot of the ethical limitations of psychological study were created. What year was it? Mid-70s. We're, we're, kind of, we're kind of always behind when it comes to ethics, don't you, don't you think? I mean, when you look at social media and, and things of that nature, I think I think we need some ethics to catch up. Well, there's, there's a, that's the interesting thing about ethics. Um, morals are an enumeration of what is right and what is wrong. Ethics is the art of making decisions when you have competing morals. Uh, for example, the um, we have a number of debates in this country that are moral, morally or ethically based, for example, pro-life versus pro-choice. Those are two objectively or subjectively moral goods. We believe in freedom. We also believe in the sanctity of life. When those things conflict, it becomes difficult. And what mental models do we use to decide when you have to choose between two things that by themselves seem very simple. Mm -hmm. And that is why ethics is hard, is because you're making decisions about things that are not clear. And um, the current social environment that we're in illustrates that. We're making choices between the um, health and well-being of our society and the health and well-being of our economy. We're making choices between the um, right to express yourself and the um, uh, and the responsibilities of how to behave in in society. And those things that are going on right now in our culture are contentious because they're unclear. Because depending upon what facts you pay the most attention to or what values you prioritize, you get different results. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it is, it is very illustrative that the areas where we do have contention, particularly when it is um, very uh, passionate and emotional, shows that there is room to disagree on both sides. That depending upon how you look at an issue, you can come to a wildly divergent opinion. The, the things that we as Americans agree on are relatively universal and uncontested. It's the areas in between that cause a, a, a lot of the appearance of having um, different opinion or, or uh, what's the word? Different camps of opinion. The partisanship. That's it's not as it's not as um, as broad as we think it is. Quite possibly one of the most thought-provoking episodes we've ever had. 
Yeah. So, sir, I, I kind of focused on the MI thing, um, not to take away from all the other skill sets that you have, but I, I one of the things that came to mind was most people that work in military intelligence are into science fiction, fantasy, things like that, will be at books, movies, what have you. Uh, are you? Oh, yeah. See, uh, it, a certain mm -hmm. type. Military intelligence attracts a certain type of mind, and that mind is um, uh, also attracted to things such as science fiction. If you look at your um, your Myers-Briggs uh, personality type indicators, mm -hmm. the uh, second slot being a difference between intuitive versus sensing, uh, attracts a lot of intuitive people, people like abstract concepts, people like possibilities, and, uh, and yeah, a lot of that science fiction and... Uh, um, fantasy uh, landscape is what's within that mindset. Okay, well, I'm excited. Solid. This is good. Certain words you can kind of yeah, chime in too, but I my think... My geek cred runs deep. Yes. I think yeah. this is... Some of these might throw you off because these might be uh, a little outdated for you. All right. I'll chime in when I know it. So I'll throw a couple things at you, sir. Um, you pick one or the other. We'll just kind of breeze through this. Uh, last Starfighter or Flight of the Navigator? Uh, Flight of the Navigator. Oh, you went with Disney on that one. Okay. Do you get either of those? Nope, not a clue. All right. Um, Is this a litmus test for me or for him? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to keep Sergeant Willis uh, awake over here. Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm on it. All right, next one, sir. Time Bandits or The Adventures of Baron Munchausen? Those are both Gilliam movies. Um, interesting you asked that. My <laughs> wife has the posters for all three of movies of the trilogy. I'll challenge you to answer what the third movie is. Uh, I think Baron Munchausen is, is a more entertaining movie. Uh, Time okay. Bandits is more abstract. Okay. I I will fail your challenge. I don't I didn't know the third, but I it's like a trilogy. Like a board, I will uh, mm -hmm. research that answer and get back to you, sir. <laughs> and Gilliam of course brings you back to Monty Python. Yeah, exactly. I'm tracking that. I know Monty Python. There you go. Yep, you know who Terry Brian. Gilliam is. And you suck. Next no. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, Dark Crystal or the Never Ending Story? Dark Crystal, hands down. All right. That's what said. Yes. Yeah. So many people would, and you know, I don't care well, what happened Never to Ending Story is iconic, but it's um, on second viewing, particularly as an adult, it's it's not what you remember. Right. Whereas Dark Crystal is eternally awesome. <laughs> um, I, I believe. They're coming out with a new series for Dark Crystal. I have already came out. It's very okay. good. The uh, oh, is it up? The dialogue and writing is kind of weak, uh -huh. but the effects and the costuming and the music is top notch. It departs a little bit from the original canon, so it's a little frustrating at times. See, I, I've unplugged and I need to plug back into everything that's going on in the world. I didn't know that was already out. I'm telling you, I'm going to school your ass on this stuff. This is, I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling it. What you got? I'm, I'm sweating a little bit. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's starting. Uh, what's a better time machine, sir? A phone booth or a DeLorean? Wow. Okay. Uh, DeLorean. Okay. There's there's no explanation for the phone booth. It's just kind of like it just is. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the, yep. the DeLorean comes with a, a certain, um, the mechanics are explained. You can at least understand how the DeLorean is right. supposed to work. Whereas the phone booth is just more. So, of a, it's a prop. So you you have a working knowledge of the flux capacitor. Oh yeah. Okay. So, I've seen. Yep. I just. I slipped on a toilet and there it was. There. <laughs> uh, um, you could you could be in on this one, Sergeant. So you really should have brought the TARDIS. That's a better comparison. That's which uh, the TARDIS wins hands down. Um, Westworld or The Witcher? Uh, 
Westworld. How did The Witcher even get into that comparison? Because I was helping Sergeant Willis out. And I, I, know like he, I know he's actually I seen like it. I know he's seen it, so I was trying to throw him a bone. I was say, there's no basis for comparison those two. It's like, <laughs> I, I've never seen anything. With so like, do you like Top Gun like... or Legends of the Fall? Really? Seriously? Uh, Star Trek or Wars? Wow, that's interesting. You uh, kind of truncated the second one there. Uh... <laughs> Original series Star Wars, is, the first three is definitely better. Yep. Um, the executive meddling in the later Star Wars really kills it. And the last ones were so bad it's unspeakable. And that's really just bad writing. And Star Trek has come back in my opinion. The, uh, the reboot with Chris Pine going forward, the writing is just good. Um, much, I, 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 I never really liked Star Trek that much, but uh, I had to switch teams. It's gotten really bad on the uh, Star Wars side. Okay, so Rogue so One, Rogue One is the unusual standout in the, the recent movies. That I love that one. Uh, we're on the same page with that one, sir. I'm, I'm on board with that. Yeah. What or, now? Here's the thing. What order did you see the Star Wars movies? Four, five, six, one, two, three, and then the rest of them. Okay. You want sure the, the rest order, of yeah. order of release then? Okay. Did you did you drop? Han Solo and so I I'm not seen the new to be. Solo movie. It's no. not worth your time. It didn't look like it. Like I even just looking at the cover, I, I totally did the judge a book by its cover. Judge a, judge a movie by its cover. It, it could have been really good. Just the again the casting yeah. was good, but the the writing and dialogue was just weak. And I mean, the only thing that it really did was increase sales on the Hasbro uh, version of uh, Sabak, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll still go back and watch 4, 5, and 6, though, all the time. Have you seen The Mandalorian yet? No. Also, I've heard The Mandalorian's Also not that good. No? Okay. No, just bad writing. Um, so, now that we know... If you want to watch The Mandalorian, you need to watch uh, Firefly or Serenity. That's that's what Star Wars should have been. Okay, so we can't talk about brown coats now. We already... <laughs> well, brown coats are fine. Just uh... we, we figured out Star Wars over Star Trek. So... From favorite to least favorite, put the series in order. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars. Lord of the Rings to include the three hobbits. Star Wars to include the offshoots of uh, Rogue One and Han Solo. What are what would be your favorite out of those three choices if we were going Lord of the Rings, Lord Harry Star Potter, Wars, Hob um, Harry Potter. Potter? Okay. Exact same on that one. That's probably just a generational thing. Uh, one thing I noticed with my kids, uh, we tried to get them interested in things like Star Wars. And sat down, got the big screen going, played the original A New Hope, and they didn't care. Mm -hmm. It didn't have the same emotional impact because by the time we had them watch Star Wars, they had already seen Iron Man. They had already seen wow, all these other movies that are essentially derivative of right. what Star Wars brought. So it's kind of like when you talk to people of the generation before me about the Beatles. Uh. And this is sacrilege, but the Beatles are largely the world's most overrated boy band ever. But at the time, they were important because it was new, because they were avant-garde, they ushered in an experience and a, a culture that was transformational at the time. Compare them in, I, would, I would say objectively, but really subjectively, you compare them to Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin, and I think there's no comparison. Right. I would take Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, and Pink Floyd over the Beatles any day. 
you know what still plays on the radio? Those three. Yeah. The Beatles are played just because you have to. It's just no one wants to sit there and listen to Let It Be over and over again. You pretty much you, <laughs> you'd be done. Yeah. Um, whereas I can listen to Pink Floyd, Stones, and Led Zeppelin all day, any day, and it still sounds good. Mm-hmm. So as a uh, fellow vinyl enthusiast, um, do you have the originals or, or are you going off? The... Finding original Led Zeppelin albums is really rough because the people that had those albums back in the day didn't take very good care of them. Right. Um, I do have uh, some original Floyd albums, but I've, I've not been able to find any listenable quality uh, Led Zeppelin. And I do have some original Stones albums that are still in condition. Yeah, I, I... And no, I have no Beatles out. Some some pretty good uh, <laughs> Rolling Stones. Although uh, I have albums. the movie soundtrack to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, because hearing Steve Martin sing is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, bonus question, sir. Who's your favorite Star Wars character? All right. Um, Star Wars character. That's a tricky one. Um, Jordan Willis is thinking of one, too. Wow, favorite Star Wars character. Because for me, like I don't I think it'd be Leia. Leia? Um she's uh she's confident and sarcastic. And most of the other cast is some kind of of uh whiny and I know a lot of people like R2. Mm-hmm. Um but as a character he isn't really grown, he's the same in every movie. People <laughs> like R2 for the, the pet factor. Like he could be a pet. People like yeah, but yeah. Well, uh, char- character-wise, I like character growth. And Luke Skywalker's his character changes over time. He adapts to the challenge in front of, which is the traditional hero's arc and so forth. Uh, it's kind of like who would I want to hang out with? And, and Leia seems cool. I think I hang out with the, uh, the little guys, the Ewoks. Or, oh, you're, uh, an, you're an Ewok fan. The Ewoks, you're, you're dead yeah. to me. Yeah. I, I First of all, guys. you're not even sure what they are. They, they know how to party, all right? <laughs> all right? Do you know what planet they, they actually, uh, what moon they live on? Oh, um... <laughs> I, I'll let you... I do. Uh, no, you don't. So, all right, next. So, um, I, I'm... I gotta throw mine out there, lesser known to maybe like a Sergeant Willis, but Wedge Antilles is probably my favorite character, uh, especially watching the aftermath into the books of Rogue Squadron and, and that. Yeah, if you go whole... into the books, it's a different discussion. Yeah. Because Wedge in the movies is a non non entity. It's no. not even he... that's not even a valid selection. He shows up to the fights. Yeah, it's <laughs> like saying my favorite me. character is Admiral Akbar. Yeah, he shows up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> his his rendition his rendition in Robot Chicken is made <laughs> made him for me. Um Well Robot Chicken and Mon Calamari uh sounds like a Feast to you, but it's so. What will you have? I'll have the calamari. <laughs> wow, wow. That's probably the singly most funny robot chicken clip ever. I hate robot. Ch- I, I never got into it. Like I tried when I was younger, growing because oh. I think it. Well, know, it's it's like swim. well, it's it's my daughter is um, she's thirteen, and she keeps bringing all these memes to us that she finds on the internet. She goes, "Oh, check out this meme. This is hilarious," and she has no context. She thinks it's funny, but she doesn't understand why it's funny because she hasn't seen that. And so we're slowly working our kids through uh, various pop culture standards just to make sure they have a proper upbringing. And they'll right. be watching a movie and they'll be like, oh, that's where that meme came from. Because they don't, and, and then they get the reference. So for example, um, uh, there's a lot of Ferris Bueller's Day Off 
references that happen in popular culture. And we had them watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off with us. And all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, we get this. And they get, but they just, so for a younger generation to appreciate Robot Chicken, it's hard to do because you didn't grow up with that. Seeing Care Bears killing each other isn't funny because you didn't grow up with the Care Bears. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and now you think that's what the Care Bears do. Yeah, <laughs> sick, sick little I just, monkeys. I never really got into really any of the Adult Swim things like Adventure Brothers hands guy. down is one of the greatest things to happen to television. What's See? the one with the the squids? Uh and the fry uh, or no the Oh you're talking the, about the fry and the shake and Yeah, yeah, the, I know which one you're talking oh, about. Oh, Hunger Team Force. I have so many friends that are that obsessed one's just, with that. It's just bad writing. As never, that's, that's not the culture of that's just bad writing. That show is awful. I don't know why people love this show so much because to me it was it it's was like just, people liked Beavis and Butthead and yeah. it was like okay I get it but it's not that yeah, funny dude. please stop. You have to bring that one back. So Ren, Ren and Stimpy, <laughs> Ren and Stimpy, Ren Stimpy. At a moment, Ren and Stimpy is okay, funny, but you watch it more than once, and you're like, okay, this is getting old real quick. Right. right. Whereas the Muppets are timeless; they will never not be funny. I do love the Muppets. Muppet Treasure Island was one of my favorite movies growing up. Statler and Waldorf. <laughs> my two favorite Muppets. Huge um, <laughs> Swedish Chef and uh, mm -hmm. and Beaker are two of my favorites. Nice. Well. Sir, thank you for your time today. I know uh, you're an important man, and you need to get back to. It's not going to help your things. evaluation. I'm telling you. No, it's. Flattery will get you. I'm long. I'm long in the tooth now. My evaluations are just horrible. <laughs> so, um, thank you again. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you, teammates. Thank you, Sergeant Willis and Sergeant Dostal, who we've already kicked out on dismount. Um, hey, listeners. If you're having a good time out there, if you're an analytical person, let me say that one again. If you're an analytical person, if your brain is wired that way and you want to join the team, uh, if you're interested in things that we're talking about, join that conversation. Hit us up on Facebook. Uh, hit us up here on whatever platform you're listening to. Definitely leave us a uh, rating, right? What do I always say? Anything less than five stars, you're a true blue falcon. True blue. Um, Right in. Let us know what you want us to do. Hit us up with questions. Is there somebody you want us to bring on? Do you want to hear about a specific MOS, a specific job, a specific unit? We'll go out. We'll find them. We'll bring them in. We'll stick them in the back of the MRAP, and they'll sit and sweat with us and talk and all for you. That's why we do it. So subscribe, rate, review us, pass the word on to your friends. And as always, be safe out there. Thank you for joining us. For tuning in to this episode of the MRAP. Join the conversation on our social media channels, and we'll see you in the next episode.